When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter will discuss a narcissist's underdeveloped conscience. Hey, Team Healthy. I'm glad to be here with you one more time. You know, as I put together these podcasts and I try to think of some of the things that I want us to talk about and consider, it just uh, comes to me that so many of you are struggling with individuals who don't really think very deeply. They don't uh, do the kind of pondering that you do and they don't really have the same regard for what makes life go well. And when we're talking about narcissists, yes, we're talking about individuals who have this real strong need for control. They're very self-centered. They're defined by their lack of empathy, and they must be superior. Those are the the identifying features of them. But there's an, an underlying issue that virtually all of them have at some level, and I want to talk about that today. And that is narcissists tend to have a very underdeveloped conscience. Um, they, they, I'm not going to say they don't have an, an appreciation for what's right and what's wrong because some of them actually are uh, go a little bit overboard on that. And I'm th- thinking there of the people that are highly opinionated and very pushy and bossy and here's what I think uh, the things are supposed to be. So some of them have a very strong sense of right and wrong, but not really at a, a heart level. Uh, instead, these individuals will kind of make up the rules for themselves as they go along, 
Narcissists are famous for having double standards. If me following certain rules today is going to suit my narrative, then that's what I'll do. But if tomorrow I need a different set of rules, then I'll go into that space. Or it may be that I'll have rules for you that don't necessarily apply to me. So that's what I'm talking about when I say there's a whole mixed element there that they carry on the inside. And their sense of conscience is, uh, is um, like I say, underdeveloped and it's, it's, it's illogical at times. Now, let's first begin talking today by uh, getting a, a baseline uh, definition. You guys know who I am, and I like to just kind of lay out. Here's, here's what we're talking about when we talk about a, uh, a person's conscience. When we talk about having a good conscience, we, we could uh, put all sorts of different thoughts and ideas to it, but basically your conscience is that inner voice that guides you towards uh, choices related to right and wrong, Okay. And uh, when we talk about right and wrong, we take it a little bit further and we say that your conscience reflects your basic sense of morality. It affects, it, uh, it's a reflection of the values that you hold most dearly. And many times your conscience can be tied to your spirituality. In other words, what's the meaning of life? And where did this all of this come from? And uh, exactly what does it mean to have God in your life? And, uh, and how does that imply uh, or impact the way that you engage with other individuals? Conscience uh, is uh, directly tied to character development. It's in tied to your sense of integrity. And so we can say basically that the conscience is your voice from within where you draw upon that and it gives you guidance regarding all sorts of uh, topics and decisions that are right there in front of you. Sometimes the decision may be very small. Sometimes the decision may be very large. For example, it may be that uh, you you don't want to be with somebody in a social engagement that they've invited you to, but you don't have a real good excuse. And so if you have a loose conscience, you might just tell a lie and say, well, I have um, uh, this that I'm going to when in fact you don't. And so it can be a small uh, decision like that, or it can be something of a very large nature about how you're going to conduct yourself when an immoral possibility comes in your direction and you're thinking, well, despite what my values tell me, this looks pretty appealing. What am I going to do with this? And so it can enter into a much larger kind of space. One of the problems we have with narcissists is, I, I want to go back to that word inner. When we say that it's your, your conscience is your inner voice, narcissists are externally based in the way that they approach life. Uh, they have more of a sense of what the rules and regulations are, uh, which is, you know, uh, what somebody nailed to the wall over there and, you know, taped to the wall and I'm supposed to be that kind of person. Or they have more of a sense that says, um, these are the functions, these are the duties, these are the obligations that you are, are obliged to, uh, to live according to. But in terms of claiming it from the inside out, they don't really have a strong development in that, uh, in that kind of regard. Um, narcissists tend to be functional. Uh, here's, here's what we're supposed to do today. They tend to be utile. Here's what you can do to make my life go better. And here's what I need to do to make me feel a lot better. They tend to operate with what I refer to as imperatives. Uh, you must, you should, you're supposed to, you have to. And that's kind of the, 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 um, scheme that they are drawing upon because that's what was taught to them in the early years. And frankly, that stuff is not wrong. 
It's not bad to say, well, I know what my functions are. I know what my obligations and duties and regulations and the have-tos and supposed-tos are. It's not as though all of that stuff is wrong, but that's as far as they go. And they don't take it to the to the why level. They don't take it to the the fuller. Uh, this is my reasoning kind of level, or or this is how it's going to impact the people in front of me. They're uh, they they haven't taken it quite that far. Much like a, a an eight year old might be. For example, if you ask an eight year old why should you not hit your sister, then they may just give you go to the functions and the rules and regulations. Well, you can't hit your sister because you're not supposed to, and you'll get in trouble, and uh, and it's it's not going to end well for you. And they may say something like that. Whereas you're hoping eventually as they age, their conscience would say, well, you know, there's a sense of dignity that each person carries. And if I manage my anger in an indignant kind of way, then that shows disregard to another individual. And I want to be somebody whose character is guided by a sense of worth and affirmation. That would be a, a more fully developed sense of conscience. Narcissists don't go into that kind of direction. Now, I'm going to give you some illustrations of uh, individuals that I'm aware of who would, you might think on the surface, would have access to uh, being able to draw upon a good conscience because they have been taught a lot of right versus wrong. But I'm going to show you how, uh, even though you've been taught right and wrong, you can still go into uh, very negative directions because uh, that sense of right and wrong, the conscience is not very well developed. Now, the first illustration, there's a young lady who uh, who grew up in a very strict and uh, a devout kind of uh, family system where uh, there was a very strong understanding, here's what we, were, I'll just uh, say uh, their name is Jones, here's what we as Joneses do, and uh, these are the regulations, this is our position in the community, here's how we conduct ourselves. And this young lady who grew up in that kind of home made friends inside of different youth groups and activities and service projects and things like that and learned in the uh, the early stages of life, if you do things that are right and good, then uh, good things are going to happen and people will pat you on the back. But there was always this fear that says, well, what if I don't really want to do all the things that are right and good? And she wound up being with people at school and with peer groups who uh, who would um, introduce different kinds of thoughts. And as she aged, she got deeper and deeper into what the family might refer to as deviant behavior, whether it was alcohol or promiscuity or cheating on tests and things like that. In the adult years, this this young lady wound up having great difficulty in marriage. She wound up having four marriages uh, before the age of 40, and uh, each time she just um, uh, would, would uh, get to a point where it'd be like, well, we need to talk about you know what the differences that we have here. But there was this chip on her shoulder where she would basically say, nobody tells me what to do. And just because you think that uh, that you're connected to me doesn't mean you owe me or you own me. And, and as a result, there would just be this sense that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and when I want to do it. And so she was prone to affairs and, and all like that. And eventually, she had a situation where uh, she wound up... Um, in a, a party kind of atmosphere and uh, died in a tragic accident because she was both high and drunk and uh, was very uh, irresponsible in the way that she was managing herself and was involved in an accident that took her life. You look back and you think, well, all of this uh, sense of right versus wrong was taught to her, but what happened? Because she she knew 
that there was uh, there were options there in, uh, in front of her that she could have taken, but she kept going in that more devious kind of direction, and it finally got her. Or let me give you a different kind of illustration. In this case, you have a man who uh, is a very uh, successful business person. He's done quite well, and he rose through the ranks in the company that he worked with at a very early age and was given a lot of leadership responsibility. And as a result, he started getting eh, pretty impressed with himself. It's like, well, everybody knows me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the smartest guy in the room. And as a result, one of the things that he would do is he would run his, his family like a, um, a military base. Um, there was a whole lot of regimen that you had to go through and you uh, had to do things according to his specifications because you see, I'm smarter than you and I know how to do things. And as a result, his, his children became very fearful of him. His wife became very depressed and there was a great deal of turmoil and dysfunction inside the family system. Uh, the wife was so depressed, she had to go to the hospital uh, and be treated for it and they wound up getting divorced. In the process, what he did was he came up with a narrative that said, well, the reason my family fell apart is because they just didn't do what the rules said. And he was so rigid in his sense of conscience that there was no room for nuance. There was no, no willingness to sit down and say, let me hear your perspective or let me find out uh, why you feel as you do. It's like, nope, you just do what I tell you to do and that's just it. And his conscience was little more than rules and regulations. So you have the first one where the person is saying, nobody tells me what to do. And uh, that individual went off into a self-destructive pattern. You have a second one that says, well, the good news is you have me around to tell you how to think. And the conscience that this person drew upon and tried to superimpose on other individuals was way too simple-minded and didn't allow for the human dimension. And so those are two ends of the extremes that we have there. And uh, I'm sure that you all could come up with some illustrations of people that uh, just uh, could lie uh, on a whim, or they could, uh, uh, you know, give the impression that they were all in and friendly and pleasant, and behind the scenes there was a real dark side, or they could be very engaging and helpful, but behind the scenes uh, they might mock other individuals. The, the conscience didn't really get, uh, give them a lot of guidance. And typically, when we talk about somebody that has an underdeveloped conscience, we're talking about one of two extremes. Uh, the first extreme is what that, that man uh, with the sergeant uh, drill sergeant's mindset is. There, there's an over-emphasis uh, on imposition. Uh, you, uh, you, uh, you will do what I say you're supposed to do. I know more than everybody else in the room, and by golly, you need to just follow with what your uh, obligations are, and it becomes very robotic. They, they become very unbending and judgmental, and, and as a result, uh, there, there's, uh, that the human dimension is not very well received at all. And then you have the other extreme of uh, rebellion, where the, the rebel says, you know what, I am sick and tired of people telling me what to do. And uh, no, nobody's going to, uh, to force me into any kind of scheme that I don't feel like doing. So they may try to give the impression that they're on board. But a lot of times it's like, um, the heck with all the rest of you, I'm just going to do my thing. And they, they're not a team player. They can have a strong undertow of anger. Don't you dare tell me what to do. And, uh, and sometimes you can actually have people that have a combination of both of those ingredients.
I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One is entitled Ready, Set, Connect. Now, narcissists are quite capable of throwing you off balance, so this course keeps you focused on the skills and the mindset that are necessary for positive connections. And inside the course, uh, we have various modules that and in, inside each module are lessons and each lesson contains a video, uh, written documents, and then questions that go along with it. We'll discuss things like how to have good conflict resolution skills, building empathy, how to be the authentic self that you need to be. If you're interested in enrolling, you can go to our uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, click the link for courses. You'll find Ready, Set, Connect there as well as the others. I hope that you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Now, whenever you have a, uh, a person who illustrates a very underdeveloped conscience, there's, there's an element that's at the base of both of those extremes that we want to look at, and that's the element of shame. The, uh, the, the hard-nosed, let me tell you how everything is, uh, is supposed to be uh, kind of person uh, uses shame as their, <clears throat> as their uh, primary tool to motivate people. And it's like, uh, if I can make you feel badly about who you are and force you into conformity, then I've succeeded and we're doing really good. And, and as a result, uh, they shame people into uh, to thinking that they're no good. Almost 100% of the time when you have someone who does that, they had that done to them uh, in their early years too. That's, that's their language. Uh, that's the currency that they draw upon. That's what they use. And as a result, they have that shame-based mentality that uh, is not, it doesn't go to a mature level. But then when you have that rebel side, it's like, oh, so the whole world out there wants to shame me. Well, you know what? In my world, anything goes. And uh, I might give a little lip service here and there to, uh, to what I know is right, but by golly, I'm just going to do it. And if you don't like it, that's too bad. And either one of them, the one who's trying to superimpose shame or the one who's trying to run away from shame, has a, uh, a very poor conception of right versus wrong. Now, let's, uh, let's zero in on a few things here that uh, would lean in the more positive direction, but I want to I give these thoughts to you in a way of comparison. If you're going to have a well-developed conscience, and it's going to be something that's not oppressive, it's not going to be burdensome, but it's just something that makes sense, there are multiple um, uh, uh, elements that need to be in place so that that more balanced kind of conscience can come into play. Now, first and foremost, when we talk about having a working, viable conscience, we're talking about having an open mind. Uh, you'll notice that, uh, uh, that if you approach right versus wrong with this tight, fixed mindset that says uh, there is no room for nuance, then uh, it's not going to work very well. My thinking is every single person in, in, the, in the, uh, the world that we have, there's about 8 billion of us, thinks differently. And we have different backstories, and we have different reasons and motivations for doing what we uh, do. And it doesn't make any sense to say, well, we're going to just apply a one-size-fits-all to all people in all circumstances. When we talk about having an open mind, 
the the healthy conscience um, uh, begins with saying, well, I know who I am, and I know what beliefs that I uh, hold dearly to, but I know that you have your thoughts and feelings, and you have your backstory, and I'd like to make sure that as I um, uh, maintain my sense of right versus wrong, and then I'm trying to blend with you, I'm doing it in the context of us. There's a we in this equation. It's not all about me. Uh, again, let's let's just think. Uh, what are some of the differences that uh, two people could bring to uh, one relationship? You can have different cultural influences. Certainly, you're going to have different family influences. And even if you're in the same inside the same family, let's say you have a, a brother and sister. Well, one of you has never had a sister before, and the other's never had a brother before. One is older, one is younger, and you have different dynamics that come with that. I mean, there's just different influences that come there. And then in addition, you have things like IQ. Uh, you have things like a natural bent. For example, some people have a natural bent towards artistic uh, skills. Other people have a natural bent towards athletics or mathematics or uh, uh, just being a, a handy person with uh, with simple kinds of uh, knick-knack kind of uh, handyman kind of things. I mean, we all have different bents. And so that influences the way that we engage. We have different friendships. We have different uh, educational experiences. And then to say nothing about you know just the country we grow up in, I can promise you somebody that lives in small-town Iowa probably thinks differently uh, as compared to someone who grows up in Moscow, and uh, you, you just are going to have a different worldview that comes with that. And there's so many different kinds of things. And so when you're working on having an appropriate kind of conscience, there's a realization that there are so many factors at play among people inside of humanity that uh, I want to make sure that I have a a broad mind and one that's able to think things through in a pensive kind of way with nuance and an appreciation for uniqueness and variety. Now, there's another, a second ingredient that, that, that comes into play when we talk about having a healthy conscience. And that is, you, you want to have an appropriate appreciation for the two words, obedience and conformity. Now, the uh, that rigid person that has uh, such a hard, black and white, fixed conscience uh, says, well, I'll tell you what obedience is. It means you do what I tell you to do. End of discussion. Uh, what else you want to know? And so their idea of obedience is shut up, lay your lay your brain down at the back door when you come into my house and just do what I tell you to do. <clears throat> obedience to them implies conformity to me. And uh, when you are trying to develop a healthy conscience, you realize, well, maybe uh, life has more going on for it than just telling folks to shut up and do what I tell you to do. I don't like it when people do that to me, and I certainly wouldn't want that uh, to happen with others. And so when we have an appreciation for obedience and conformity, we want to do so inside the dynamic or inside the, uh, the, the, the atmosphere of group dynamics. Uh, every group is going to have a different feel. Uh, think about all the different groups you've been in in your life, whether it's a choir at school or an athletic team or a team at work that's trying to come up with projects or um, you know, uh, just a, a social uh, group that is going to a concert or uh, something of that nature. Each group is going to have its own dynamic, and people with a healthy conscience will say, well, I'd like to take the time to uh, to figure out you know what us and what we need and sometimes it will shift 
Uh, for example, when you're on vacation with the family, you might be a little loose with respect to your um, your culinary things. You might eat a little bit more or uh, just be a little bit more indulgent, whereas when you're at home, you might just think, okay, we need to go back to that diet, make sure that we're not overdoing. I mean, a little bit simple things like that. But, uh, but when we talk about obedience, there's a sense that says um, that there's a fluidity here and it's not just so rigid that, uh, that no, um, uh, no deviation is ever allowed. Now, there are, uh, 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 there's another element that goes into the making of a healthy conscience. And I want to say this carefully because sometimes people could misinterpret it. Uh, but we want to appreciate the fluidity of morality. Now, when I say the fluidity of morality, what do I mean there? Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fast approaching 70. It's, it's one thing to say I'm in my 60s. Oh, that's a whole other issue. That's my last Carter problem. Um, but I can promise you at age 70, <clears throat> I think differently about things than when I was 26, let's say. Um, and, uh, and or I, I can promise you, and when I was in my 40s, I thought about things a little bit differently than I do now. Uh, things change over time. As an example, um, when I was a teenager or a young adult, almost nobody had tattoos. And now I have people in my world that I admire greatly and uh, and I think very well of them. And they, they may have one tattoo, they may have six, I don't know. But we think differently about things because things change over time. Or I've known some people that grew up in a home where uh, alcohol was strictly prohibited. You can't do that. But then over time, uh, as the as things have gone by, they may have shifted gears with respect to that. Or for that matter, it may be that somebody else says, well, alcohol has not served me well, uh, and so I'm just going to go without it, period, because I, I just don't feel like it's going to help me any. Let's respect something like that. Or it may be that um, um, way back in the day, uh, I, I was born in 1954. Back then, you didn't have a whole lot of interracial marriage. Well, today, there's plenty of it. And by the way, I think that's okay because I, in fact, I think it's great because that's one of the ways that you help break down some uh, racial barriers, but things change and things are different. And, uh, for example, you know, you watch some TV shows from people in the fifties and sixties, they smoked a whole lot. And, the, and these days we don't, in other words, let's appreciate the fluidity of, of morality. And I'm not just saying that there is no such thing as absolute right and absolute wrong. There's some things that are always going to be wrong and some things are always going to be right. But there is a whole lot of gray, and people that have a clean conscience appreciate that. Now, uh, what that says then, uh, taking it to another level, is when you have a strong conscience, you realize that uh, your conscience involves much more than just uh, declaring right versus wrong. Um, yes, we want to have standards and values that guide us, but then there, it's more than just that. Sometimes uh, your, uh, your guiding principle is love. It may be that someone is in front of you who doesn't really live up to your values and standards, but you can still give them love. I'll I, I, I tell you a little bit of an exaggerated illustration, but it's a very wonderful illustration. There was a woman years ago that came to my counseling office that represented pretty much everything I grew up, uh, uh, pretty much everything, not what I grew up with. She had come off the streets. She had been a prostitute uh, and had uh, a, a lot of um, uh, manipulations and drug involvements and all the, all the stereotypes that you think of. 
And when she came into my office, she would tell me all sorts of stories about what was going on. Uh, she wanted to do things differently, but she was just at a whole different place as me. And you know what? I came to have a deep and abiding appreciation for her. She was a person of value and worth. And uh, even though she would tell me some things, for example, she might say something like, well, I did have sex with this guy that I used to charge. Uh, and this time I didn't do that. I didn't charge him. So, I mean, that's a step forward. It's like, well, okay, I guess we're making progress. Um, but, you know, there, there would just be times when it'd be like, you know, uh, we operate on a different uh, plane altogether, and sometimes you just have to be patient and allow influence the time to, uh, to, to dig in. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, there are times when you want to, uh, to emphasize things like respect and honor, and then over time realizing that in and of itself can become part of uh, the conscience and morality that's there. Because when a person feels known and honored, then they might um, um, have more of an impetus to say, maybe I need to rethink myself and perhaps I could go in that kind of direction. And so basically we're going to we're also going to say that another way to to know that you're developing your conscience in a healthy way is that you're aware that there are in fact extremes out there in your world and those extremes don't have to trigger you whether it's like that woman who came off the streets or whether it's somebody somebody that just has an outrageous opinion and it's very different from yours and you're over there thinking I can't believe that you think that way well, go ahead and believe it. And then the, the next question is, can I still have decency despite the fact that you don't think the same as me? You see what I'm saying? Uh, having a healthy conscience is more than, uh, it's, it's not just knowing what's correct. But having a healthy conscience is living inside of wisdom, okay? And there's an enormous difference between correctness and wisdom, when we have a healthy conscience, uh, one of the primary ingredients that leads the way is empathy. Who is this person in front of me that I'm rubbing shoulders with? What are their values and how does that match with my values? And, and so we want to have a sense that says, uh, oh, there's a, a feeling of community that we're here. We're going to be interacting with each other. And I want to make sure that as we do, we do so with as much of a sense of honor. And it, again, it doesn't mean that we don't have stipulations and boundaries and consequences. I'm not talking about just raw relativism, um, but there, there's a sense that says we need to have a sense of, of balance between having principles while acknowledging freedom and acceptance. And that's, uh, that, that sometimes changes as the years and the circumstances go by. Narcissists, going back to where they are, have such an attitude that says, but it's all about me. That uh, it, when you come along and say, well, let's talk about uh, values and standards, it's like, uh, you're trying to uh, get into my world and tell me what to do. Or like that other one, well, it's all about me and I'm going to make sure you conform to me. Uh, they, they don't have the bandwidth to do what I'm talking about here. Uh, but what I am saying is, even if you differ from me, even if you disagree with me, even if you have preferences that are not the same as mine, my conscience doesn't go to the place that says, well, let me figure out how I can clobber you and then get you to act straight. Uh, or if somebody comes towards me with their rigid manipulations and, and, and uh, requirements, rather than saying, well, I'm just going to punch you in the nose and go my own merry way and I don't care what you think. 
there's going to be a sense that says, uh, I know we differ and as best I can, I'll blend. I want to be driven by dignity, respect, and civility. That's what we stand for here on Team Healthy. Uh, judgment uh, gives way to discernment. Shame gives way to description. And uh, that's how we're going to go. So I hope this gives you an idea of what you might be dealing with when you're engaging with that narcissistic person. These are people who are rather conflicted when it comes to figuring out what to do with that uh, whole topic of a conscience guiding and, uh, and leading you. But I'm hoping you can have a sense that says, well, I know who I am. I know what I stand for and who I'm going to be with. I want to be a person of love. I want to be a person of reasonableness and decency. And uh, uh, that, uh, those are the foundational ingredients to my conscience. And in the end, it allows you to be a person that applies wisdom. To me, that's the ultimate way that says, or the ultimate ingredient says, my conscience is clean. My conscience is, is a helpful thing. It's not destructive. Let's anchor down on that. So, Team Healthy, thanks for letting me be here with you one more time. I'm going to have uh, some other things to talk about, plus I'm going to be having some people I'll be interviewing in the weeks ahead. So stick around. I'm going to be bringing more to you. I so appreciate you letting me be a part of your journey. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.